thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It's Monday, December 18th, and today is World Arabic Language Day, National Twin Day, National Roast Suckling Pig Day, you guys. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. International, International Migrants Day. Migrant. And answer the telephone like Buddy the Elf Day. That's right. Buddy the Elf Day. You make sure you answer your phone like that today, Rico and Matthew. And thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And now we are also streaming on Rumble, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and and is it is it one other thing, Adam? And Twitch. Maybe. And yes, but kicking it off today, we have the okay, dope dad himself. The dope it's, dad Mr. Himself. it's Mr. Rico Lamit in the building with the Quasimodo caretaker Quasimodo. standing in the back rooting him on with a little cheerleading going on. That's right. It is the dope dad, Mr. Dope Rico Lamit. Back in 1936, an anti-cannabis propaganda film was released. It's originally called Tell Your Children. It was funded by conservative church group Moral Guardians and directed by failing French-American Louis Gasnier in a last-ditch effort to save his career. The movie would later be renamed a much catchier Reefer Madness, and under that moniker, it became a cultural phenomenon known for pumping out the worst unfounded stereotypes tied to cannabis consumption in the U.S., many of which, unfortunately, still live on today, nearly 90 years later. Ironically, the cannabis legalization movement, now claiming 40 states under medical access and 24-plus D.C. fully legalized, countless lives and neighborhoods have been changed for the better. And tax revenues generated from these programs are empowering cannabis to become the exact opposite of what reefer madness taught generations it'd amount to. A force for anti-violence. And aside from the futile 
enforcement efforts we're seeing millions being pumped into, uh, there's still plenty of leftover to do good with, like in New Jersey. The state's allocating $5.2 million in cannabis tax funds to 11 facilities over 10 counties to further support New Jersey's hospital-based violence intervention program. Um, in a December 15th press release announcing the latest round of funding for the three-year-old program, Governor Phil Murphy said meeting survivors of violence uh, where they are during a, such a critical time of their he healing journey is essential to their well-being. The New Jersey Hospital-Based Violence Intervention Program is a crucial resource to address both the mental and physical ramifications of violence in our communities, proving and providing a light at the end of the tunnel when it is needed most." End quote. Initially funded through the Federal Victims of Crime Act, the, uh, the program provides financial support into partnership between hospitals and community-based entities so they can offer the services to assist crime victims. Overseen by the Department of Law and Public Safety's Office of Violence Intervention uh, Prevention, the program links victims with therapy, mentorship, and other social services designed to encourage recovery and prevent them from re uh, retaliating against their attackers. Resources for the program are now drawn from Cannabis Regulatory Enforcement Assistance and Marketplace Modernization Fund, a mouthful there, um, which aims to reinvest the communities most impacted by cannabis criminalization. Um, Attorney General Matthew Platkin said the innovative program has shown the benefits of interrupting cycles of violence at the hospital beside uh, bedside and is how to forge a path to healing and greater safety. Thanks to Governor Murphy, the funding we are announcing today demonstrates the clear commitment to continuing our public health approach to public safety, supporting our community partners, and providing victims of violent crime critical services at a time of crisis. So um, I think this is a great thing and a huge middle finger out to uh, reefer madness peddlers out there trying to do bad. Um, like I said before, unfortunately, way too many funds are being pumped into enforcement efforts, which are just feeding the trap. But um, at least some good is coming out of this. And um, I think um, I would hope that more state-run programs mimic what uh, New Jersey is doing here. Uh, because you know what? In a economy run by dollars and more dollars and more dollars, it's all important that we follow the money. And if we're following cannabis dollars being tracked uh, to help people and not hurt them, as um, uh, Reef of Man is intended to do, it's a win-win for all of us. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. Interested what the rest of the team thinks about this one. This beautiful Monday morning. Got anything? Yeah, yeah, bro, this is great news. This is great news for for victims of violence that are in New Jersey. This is this is fantastic news for them, and I, I think this is this is a good use of of funds overall. I mean, I think think of yeah. a few other things that, that that it can go to, but at the same time, I, I'm not going to complain about about this about helping out victims of, of of violence or whatnot. I think this is a great use of funds. Agreed, one hundred percent. It's nice to see the money actually going towards trackable and going towards something that uh, helps the community. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Medicine healing the community. Look at that, Rico. You found a feel-good story for your first story of the week. This Look time. at that, man. It's the beginning <laughs> of the week. Man. It must be uh must be the feast of Saturnalia coming up or something, man. Something's getting something's getting me real revved up. Don't, don't worry. What it is. Don't worry. I got some bad news for you. Don't worry. I got plenty of it. <laughs> what, what do you think on this, Yaro? You got your got your new camera and your new lights going on over there. 
Huh? Y'all, look, look like you, yeah. you, uh, you'd be right at home on a Fox News screen right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, you know, I I like uh, the use of funds. I don't like the notion that the tax money from cannabis is used for great things, because then if we want to reduce the taxes on cannabis, we're talking about reducing some of the benefits to those good programs. And so this is always a, a, a worthy use of funds. It would be an even better world if programs like this didn't have to have the taxes on cannabis to be well-funded, because obviously there's a massive societal benefit to uh, supporting these types of programs. Uh, so yeah, if we're gonna get taxed, this is as good a use of those tax funds as possible. And in an even better world, we wouldn't need to get so taxed in order for uh, programs that have this type of merit uh, to find funding anyway. I'm glad, I'm glad you took that angle. Um, That's a very um, interesting because angle. It, yeah. it goes back to, yeah, it goes back to the debate we had last, mm -hmm. last week, man. Um, you have countless really, really influential and really detrimental um, 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 corporations, especially in New Jersey, that have torn apart communities that have nothing to do with cannabis, right? And they get tax breaks, but they're polluting the hell out of the earth and they're um, making people sick. And you know what? They hardly even pay a dime in taxes. So um, I think it is is a little bit of a, a slippery slope here when we see all the quote unquote good being done through cannabis taxation, when in fact, a lot of the business owners are struggling because of heavy handed taxes at the same time. So Corporation, it is a sword. corporations are people too, Rico. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got, I got a quick quiz for you. Yes, go for it, Matthew. In the American style capitalism that you love so much, Jason, corporations are people. Mm-hmm. Who is the who is the first person running for office to suggest taxing cannabis in order to help the community? The first person to tax cannabis in order to help propose to propose taxing cannabis. Jesse Ventura. I think that was in the seventies. Uh, it think was in the seventies. Um, yep. I don't remember the guy's name, but I do remember that it was in the seventies. Great doctor Timothy Leary. That's right, you guys. That's right, Tim That's Leary. Right. Yo, yep. mm -hmm. you should have put that up uh, for a poll, man. Should, oh right! Anybody can come up with that. Uh, that yeah. And then, and then, who framed him to go to Folsom State Prison so he wouldn't get elected because he was po out polling him? Ronald Reagan. That's right, you guys. Oh, Jason's boy, yeah. Jason's homeboy, the man with six letters in all three of his names, but for some reason he's not the mark of the beast. I don't like know. Killer Mike says, Ronald Reagan six six. So you tell him. I mean, Reagan died a long time ago. Maybe. So how can he be the mark of the beast? Oh, he's that? he's just another evil turn. Yeah, he's not the mark of the beast, yeah. bro. Stop being ridiculous. He's, he's not the mark of the beast, bro. That book ain't real, you guys. Yeah. Uh, there we okay. go. World is world is never ending, you guys. The universe is going to be here forever, working it out. So the, the world ever separate, separate from bedtime with Bonzo, I think if we take a step back from the program that was a part of the article that was just covered, we take a step back from that. I don't think it's a big stretch to say that a lot of crime and violence is a byproduct of poverty. And so I, I think there's a reason why traditionally, you know, shanty towns are the roughest place because people are just struggling to survive. And so it would be awesome to also see 
people taking a step back and saying, okay, what are the what are the root causes of violence in, in communities and how do we run at solving some of that and how do we get funding for that? Because people who are doing well don't fight as much amongst each other. People who are feeling like they're winning, people who are thriving, people who are putting more than just a little bit on the on the kitchen table are less likely to want to be in conflict. And so I think a lot very much about how neighborhoods of poverty become like crabs in a barrel. And so it'd be awesome to see funding to attack some of those root causes. Um, and so hopefully we can get more money for programs like this, hopefully not necessarily by taxing regulated cannabis, and we can still prioritize uh, getting rid of violence because uh, we all know that that's a worthy cause. Fair enough. I think the problem, I think the problem that you keep on bringing up there, Yarrow, is um, that would mean we would be going to the source and we'd be looking for a solution or a cure and uh, cures are not profitable. Cures are not profitable. That's true. But on that, we got to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. You can catch them... uh... Anywhere, anytime, smoking on the best weed in the world. And uh, this weekend, I had the pleasure of doing it up with him and some cannabis legends. Yes. Over at the High Nine Studios. And we can't wait to, to do a little bit of recap on that later. But um, y'all know who it is. High Nine head honcho and Donald Trump's favorite pothead, Jason Beck. That's <laughs> right. You're very right about all of those things right there, Rico. <laughs> yes, we were judging the best of competition and we found out who was who won the best of. So if you want, you can check out. We did some streams. We did some streams of the judging. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you check it out. There's about three or yes. three or so different streams throughout the different uh periods over the over the weekend. And so check them out. Let us know what you think. And oh man, Rico, here we go. Because floundering weed stocks. Test Wall Street's faith in 2024 rebound, you guys. You know what I say? I say dump them all. That's right. The case for investing in cannabis companies is, in theory, the strongest it's ever been. Weed shops are popping up on street corners across the U.S. at a frantic pace while the 2024 presidential election offers an impetus for drug reform. And yet the stocks underlying in the industry are floundering, with even the bills growing tired of waiting. <laughs> uh, index tracking the the shares of 100 marijuana-related companies has tumbled more than 15% so far this year after touching an all-time low in October. The fundament, in a quote, the fundamentals don't matter much at all, unfortunately, said Dan Ahern's managing director of Advisor Shares Investments LLC, they will again be right. They, they will again, but right now these companies and their stock prices are extremely tied to federal reform. Even though 24 states, two territories in Washington D.C. have legalized cannabis for adult use uh, purposes, the plant remains a Schedule One substance on a federal basis. And the same tier as heroin and LSD, federal decriminalization has been good among Democrats, though there's been relatively little progress under President Joe Biden's administration. 
On Wall Street, the lingering red tape is impossible to overlook because of marijuana's status. Cannabis uh, companies are taxed so heavily that they struggle to make enough cash and their shares and the exchange-traded funds that track them are also largely kept off of major marketplaces like the New York Stock Exchange instead of trading over-the-counter or on smaller Canadian exchanges. That's all but wiped out the optimism among the pickers who'd expected industry uh, legitimization progress to unleash an epic windfall. The highs and lows and clear and, and clear in prices of stock of pot stocks over the years. Uh, Tilray Brands Incorporated U.S. shares trade at just about $2 each and a tiny fraction of what they were worth in 2018 when the stock hit a high of about $214. Curaleaf Holdings was wiped out roughly $10 billion of shareholder value since a 2021 peak and canopy growth uh, this week uh, resorted to plans for a one a one for 10 reverse stock split in a desperate bid to ensure the stock trades at a dollar or more per share to uh to to will hershey chief executive and co-founder of round hill financial incorporated it's a disappointment when he uh when he launched an exchange traded uh trade fund uh tracking us cannabis companies ticker weed last year the outlook was that 2023 would be a better year for beaten down pot stocks and in a quote the whole idea was that we were going to have more progress than we'd seen on the regulatory front he said as long as these companies have to list on smaller canadian exchanges and have to operate with really burdensome tax regimes the story is less interesting his weed fund hit an all-time low in august as it slumped to 62 percent since it started trading in april 20th of 2022 there is of course still a chance that democrats renew the push to reschedule and decriminalize cannabis especially as they seek to win over voters ahead of biden's re-election campaign in 2024 fat chance of that you guys the next uh catalyst uh, on investors radar is potential reclassification of marijuana pot stocks jumped for one of their uh, best weekly performances this year in september after u.s drug enforcement administration said it would review its classification of of cannabis an action taken after nudging by biden's team and rescheduling is a major fundamental catalyst that could result in better equity performance said uh, needham co and uh, analyst matthew mcginney of course any action by the dea would likely face legal challenges and even in a scenario that sees reclassification and relief from taxes the boost would be would be desperate, said Chris Enton, an analyst on Morningstar who covers cannabis companies. Multi-state operators have the most to gain if they face uh, softer tax rules from uh, Cresco Labs and True Leaf Cannabis Corporation to Green Thumb Industries, larger Canadian companies such as Tilray, Canopy Growth, and Chronos uh, Group would see less impact from rescheduling because they currently only sell THC products in the in in the U.S. Inton said, and uh, plus it would only be one step in the right direction. Most on Wall Street agree that beyond rescheduling. It would take both legislation, likely the Safer Banking Act, which would make banking and financial services more accessible to the industry and legalization and federal level uh, for the industry to flourish. The Safer Banking Act, however, will expire if it's if it's not voted on by the end of the legislative session in January, meaning it would have to be reintroduced yet again after swift action from Congress seems unlikely as House Speaker Mike Johnson has uh, voted against cannabis reform in the past. 
past. Eh, I'm not buying that. Just because he voted against cannabis reform in the past don't mean he would call for a vote. I'm not buying that one. And advisors Ahearns is still betting that federal reform is somewhere on the horizon, pointing to the expansion of states that have legalized cannabis for adult use. Um, focused ETF nickname M- uh, MSOs is down roughly 73% from its launch in 2020. And in a quote, we think it's closer than ever, he said, but we also expected it about two and a half or three years ago. Well, I'll tell you what, keep on waiting because ain't shit changing. And this is Jason Beck for the high at nine news. What do you think about these stocks, Rico, you financial analyst? <laughs> 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 Is that an insult? Who <laughs> <laughs> said it, it was? Goddamn financial analyst. Yep. Hold on, man. There's been, uh, there's been more versions of safe banking that's come out, man, in the last 10 years. And uh, Lil Wayne, no ceiling is a series. <laughs> 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 oh, all man. these, um, I don't know, man. Safe banking, I still believe. I still believe safe banking is not going to ever pass. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these cannabis stocks, like I said last week, they are reaching that uh, five-year runway that a lot of them were granted in the beginning by a ton of their investors. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the returns aren't there. Uh, safe banking hasn't been passed. Can- cannabis hasn't been legalized on a federal level. And um, this is the problem when you base your investments on something that you're anticipating uh, to pass, but. Um, you know, easy way to get around that is uh, just track what the um, uh, the uh, the members of Congress are actually investing in. <laughs> hey, I, I, bro, that's I'm not mad at that one. That is so true. Yeah, yeah. See, see which member of Congress buys a cannabis stock, and then you'll know something's gonna happen. If you see, if you see, uh, um, Curly popping up in Nancy Pelosi's portfolio, <laughs> <laughs> or even Paul, her husband Paul, either one. Either one, you it know, was a Twitter account that followed uh, that followed Paul Pelosi's investments, and it got uh, it got bumped off the platform. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Elon should bring that bring that uh, page back. I think Elon should just go away. I think I think that we need to make a critical difference here, right? Because the difference that I think needs to be made is the notion that publicly traded cannabis companies represent the health of the cannabis industry, and the truth is. There's a lot of companies that are not public that you're not going to know the financial performance because they're not out there pandering for using other people's money through the sale of stock in order to fund their vision and expansion. And so it's very expensive to be a publicly traded company. There's a lot more reporting requirements. And typically, the companies that want to go public or be public want to do that so that they can scale with OPM, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just think that if we look at the cannabis industry, it wouldn't really be fair to the industry to say, well, the health of these publicly traded companies represents the health of the industry or the health of the opportunity. Um, The other thing also is that in the beginning, the publicly traded companies were the ones that were Canadianly traded, right? Canadian Stock Mm -hmm. Exchange. And so that also skewed, if we were going to say stocks are the, you know, publicly traded companies are the index by which we're going to measure the health of the industry, that would skew that data point to be more heavily focused on companies that are founded in Canada, operate in Canada, at least trading on the CSE. And I just don't think it represents the industry more broadly. Interesting. I, I agree. I, I, it, really, it, it, it really represents people who... Um, primarily from outside of the cannabis industry and culture 
really have no clue how to navigate because they don't actually use or care for the plant. And what we see constantly, like Cresco is a great example. You can watch Cresco go from state to state, acquiring winning assets, and then just crashing them to the ground and moving on. You know, uh, uh, JBZ, Continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I could just go on, listen, listen, listen. I don't want to sound like a bre- broken record, but I'll go for it. Amer- you know, number one, just if go you're going to be it. in any industry, you actually <laughs> have to care and be a part of said industry. Like, I'm not in drag racing because I have no fucking clue if my car, pardon me, but if my car breaks down, I don't know how to fix it. That's I don't not know how to get a better time. You I'm also not in a imagine, pair of imagine putting imagine putting Saint Germain race. in charge of the of the next biggest software app. I have but no you do, clue. But, 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 but Saint G, you do often on the weekends wear dresses and uh, running shoes. So I would argue that you are into drag racing. <laughs> you know what's weird is uh, even though I support every type of alternative lifestyle, I have never worn a dress or cross-dressed. Good for Just, you, Matthew. Uh, well, it's not. about the only thing that isn't my thing, I'd say, with the exception of my Utila kilt that I used to that I, I used to rock. Get this, this man a Hyatt I mean, man branded bikini now. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> for, for I you mean, guys, I'll wear a dress. How about that? Um, amazing, amazing. I mean, he does wear onesies, so that is that. You know what I mean? That's that's close. <laughs> I mean, look, separate from how on a Monday St. Germain chooses to banana hammock, there is also that. the notion yeah, that the Safe Banking Act is this next critical step for progress in the industry. It is. And the truth is nothing could be further from the truth. I There's a lot that can be done at the executive level that doesn't require a legislative act. You'd have like to have an executive there. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm going to do a triple snap, and you got me mid-triple snap. All but right. changing the way in which we have suspicious reporting, suspicious activity reporting requirements, which increases the cost of cannabis banking for compliance purposes, those things could be tuned down. There's a lot of things that could be done to make the financial systems more accommodating of the cannabis industry that don't require the passage of safe and so the people who cheerlead for safe it's almost a metric for who's a fucking idiot because they don't understand government and they don't understand what can be done in government without the passage of safe and we've gone from safe to safest to safer this whole notion needs its own safe word because I don't see it passing. It's been years that safe has been teed up and everybody gets all, <laughs> who the fuck cares? There's ways to make cannabis banking cheaper without that act ever passing that doesn't require that we solve the logjam that is partisan Congress. And yet everybody focuses on it in this as if it's gonna be the shot in the arm. And this industry doesn't need that shot in the arm specifically in order to improve and to have a more hospitable business climate so are you saying are you-, you know what y'all you know y'all like I, I have to admit i'm a huge fan of safe banking because it's already one me three hundred dollars <laughs> and i'm saying it right now jason i'm gonna bet you another hundred dollars that safe banking ain't going to pass by in this session of <laughs> congress i agree with you on that i don't think January. it has a chance of passing this session of congress there's not a chance who of wants that hundred dollar bet gretchen if I, tired another, of money. if I see another linkedin post about safe banking i'm just gonna eat my own used gym sock it's like enough is enough is enough there there are 10 to be this thing in this space where we overly focus on one or two things and everybody just focuses on it 
and safe banking is one of them. The other one is federal decriminalization or this notion that everybody has said, oh, in three years, it's going to be federally legal. They've been saying that for nine years, okay? Check your watch, do the math. It doesn't make any sense anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think safe is, 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 has gotten it more than its fair share of 15 minutes of fame. Yep. And I'm just going to say, safe I'm going to say pass Kill safe, safe banking safe. already. But nonetheless, pass we're going to keep this. Banking. Yeah, we're going to keep this train rolling. We're going to move right in to that's right. The immortal one, Mr. Matthew St. Germain, who's walked the earth for thousands of years, but still doesn't really look like it. It looks like he's like our age. That's right. He is the immortal count himself. Mr. Matthew St. Germain. Thanks, brother Jason. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, I am surviving, though they seem to be cutting more and more parts off of me uh, as as I go along. I hope they're not cloning me. I, I, I think they're cloning you. I've got a great you. story that I that, is, that really points to a lot of that. What? Can someone mute what, the what, what, What'd you say? They, they need a cut off of him that's virus-free first before oh, they ouch. Oh, him. man. Jeez Louise. It's your main still STD-free as of 2023. Thank you very much. Congress is greenlighting psychedelic treatment bill for active duty service members suffering for PTSD. Now, it hasn't passed, but it's being offered. U.S. Representative Dan Crenshaw uh, is, uh, has tucked within Congress's colossal annual defense bill, a priority uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act. Sorry, I didn't have time to edit my shit, so just let me stumble through this here. Go ahead. Included in the bill, Representative Dan Crenshaw, Ike Day Psychedelic Therapy to Save Lives <laughs> Act. Say that 10 times fast. This will direct the Defense Department to create grants for studying psychedelic treatments for active duty service members. Psychedelic substances include MDMA, psilocybin, and some plant-based therapies. Active duty service members will be able to participate in the studies if they get clearance from the DOD and are diagnosed with certain post-traumatic conditions. Using psychedelic uh, psychedelics to treat PS PTSD is not new, but using it for active duty veterans would be new were this to pass. We have to think outside the box, Crenshaw said during a June news conference unveiling the bill. We're never going to understand the extent to which psychedelics can help our service members until we start actually doing the necessary clinical trials in a controlled environment. Crenshaw, a former Navy SEAL, has been pushing for the measure for years. The House included and passed the bill in the NDAA in 2022, but the Senate dropped the provision. The bill is named after Douglas Mike Day, a Navy SEAL who died by suicide after getting severely injured by multiple bullet wounds in Iraq. You think of a hero, you think of a guy like Mike, Crenshaw said. Yet like so many other warriors after Mike, it made it back home. He behind an entirely different, more insidious battle. A battle with the demons that followed him. Maybe, well, we'll get into why. A U.S. Representative Morgan Luttrell, a fellow Houston area Republican, and another former Navy SEAL included Crenshaw's bill as an amendment to the NDAA. Luttrell is one of five Texans who sit on the House Armed Services Committee, which puts this bill together each year. Measure has bipartisan support, including AOC, Rokana of California, and some other folks on the other side of the aisle. This is an alternative. This is not the end-all, be-all. We would never say, this is, an, this is another tool you can put in your proverbial toolbox to increase your quality of life. Um, the article goes on a little bit um, to say that the, the bill is up for vote and has not yet been passed. Now, two things. Number one... Any and all treatment for these people, I agree with. I think it's great. Number two, though, I think we need to look at something. Are we going to begin, and I think we're really at risk in, in several modalities here of 
of actualizing Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And if you've never read it, I, I, I invite you to at least re- I invite you to read a summary of it. Uh, we, we seem to fast be approaching this Brave New World approach where psychedelics are used instead of to create a new and envision and create a new and better world that works better for everybody. The government and these these corporations and especially the military are looking at them as as a, 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 a tool to smooth over the gnarly side effects of of the dystopian nightmare we currently inhabit. And I would say a much better way to uh, approach PTSD and service members is to close our overseas military bases and to stop using these people as pawns in a resource war and a global game of, of risk meets monopoly. If all these folks weren't over in other countries where we don't belong, murdering people so that we could continue to control their resources, we could use psychedelics to envision stuff like, hey, let's all go clean up our, our park and, and offer our handout to our, our fellow human beings who live in our country. And we'd have more money and resources to do so. And so I, I think that we need to continue to support the, the medicalization and therapeutic out, 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 uh, approach of psychedelics. It's a great strategy to legalization, decriminalization, and lessening the penalties for those who choose to use them. But I think we need to continue to address the facts on the uh, on on our planet here that that our current strategies aren't working for people overseas and they aren't working for average Americans. And I, I'm really in, in, encouraged and, and and interested in in what you guys have to say. This is Matthew Saint Germain for the Hyatt Nine News on a Monday. Let's dig into it. Man, I I think this is great news. I I I I, I like this bill. Like anything that helps our 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 men and women that serve our country, um, and when they come back to, um, regenerate themselves into society, I'm I'm all about. It helps deal with the trauma, all of that stuff. I'm all for this. What do you think, Yarrow? I, I was thinking about my son's video games where he plays these first-person shooter games, and when you get shot up, you have these little things called a med kit, and you gobble it up, and it like increases your 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 health points. And so I do think that psychedelics could be part of that uh, med kit. So, for, so you mean to be like Super years. Mario Brothers, where you just like get the mushroom and you fucking level up? <laughs> I do think that there's some 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 teaching, some lessons, some opportunities for insight that psychedelics could be helpful in facilitating. I am a big proponent of uh, a guided retreat, though. I don't uh, think that uh, I think I think the critical element for me is not which psychedelic are we talking ayahuasca or mushrooms? Are we talking? some 2CB or some lick a toad. Like, I don't really, that to me, like the vehicle isn't as important as this notion that to be done right would include a guide, a chaperone, uh, a psychedelic Sherpa, somebody who's gonna be there to give you a warm compress on your forehead or a nice cup of tea and to make sure that we keep these things safe and sane. (laughs) Like they talk about the fireworks that you're allowed to buy in the parking lot by Safeway. Safe and sane. We don't need to be go exploding all the way up into the air. We need something where we're gonna get that benefit, but we're also gonna stay within the confines of something that doesn't put us in harm's way when we can't see straight, right? So I'm, listen, I'm not mad at anything that helps uh, people who've come back from uh, theaters of operation uh, to recalibrate, readjust, reintegrate, and uh, certainly decriminalizing some of this stuff uh, is, is, I think, an important step towards uh, finding out what modalities are going to allow psychedelics to be the most effective for people. Mm-hmm. 
I agree with that. I just I just hasten and caution. I think we all need to raise our voices that psychedelics should not be some spackle on the psyche that allows one to continue to drop out of helicopters and murder innocent people for their resources. I think that there is a more intelligent way to navigate the world at this point. I think if we look around the world, what we see is fallout from the U.S., France, Britain, and the U.S. and uh, primarily U.S., French, and English-controlled oil companies playing games from the late 1800s on. If we look at Israel, what's going on there? It's all stuff that started in the 1900s and with World War I. These oil companies gamifying that area so they, they could continue to extract the wealth without paying the populace. And I'll, I'll give you one more. In, in Iran, which used to be Persia, we, our CIA, killed Mohammad Mossadegh in the 50s when he was democratically elected because he wanted to nationalize their oil and use that oil resource to educate and feed and house his own populace. And we went in there, we murdered him, we reinstalled the Shah, we privatized the oil. American and English oil companies continued to, continued to extract the wealth from Iran up until 1980. And we basically empowered and fomented and, and, and catalyzed this Islamic revolution that happened in Iran that is now murdering innocent children, murdering innocent women. And, and all of the seeds for that were planted by the American CIA. And so let's not just use psychedelics as a way to feel good about murdering people. Let's use psychedelics as a way to envision a better future in which violence is not needed in, in negotiating or navigating with our brothers and sisters on this planet. Well, I don't, I don't think I can say anything after that. We're just going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Oh, stop whatever you're doing. Make sure that you hit that like button down below. YouTube will appreciate it. We'll appreciate it. And you will feel like a better person for it. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not subscribed already. And all of the articles that we cover on today's show, you can read at www.hyatnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, Yee! yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched, and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Yee! Oh, 
Oh, yeah, coming back. We have Mr. Florida Man himself, but happens to be up there in the great 707 area, Sonoma County. That's right. He loves to do real estate. And every once in a while, does some cannabis, and then every now and again, he'll mix his cannabis and real estate together like he's rolling a spliff, and he will do cannabis and real estate. That's right. It is none other than Mr. Yarrow Kubrin. That's right. Pump up the jam. Yes. Pump it up. Pump, I pump do, it up. I do not know how, to, how I can ever go after somebody who can just come up with things like, Backle on the psyche. How do you come after a St. Germain when he just backles on the psyche? Like, I I don't, I can't follow that kind of wit, but I will do my best to cover today's news. This is Yarrow Cooper, Monday morning, high at nine news, and my article is about New York. <clears throat> Got to loosen up for this one. Eric Adams, New York mayor, New York City mayor. Let's get to it. Eric Adams vows crackdown on illegal New York weed shops. Mayor Eric Adams is on high alert, vowing crackdown on the plethora of illicit cannabis shops that have sprouted up like weeds all across New York City, which is now threatening the viability of state licensed operators that have yet to open. Adams, during a Thursday City Hall press conference, said the legal weed market is under threat from the large black market and counterfeit sales flourishing throughout the five boroughs. Unlicensed cannabis stores are threatening a budding legal market <laughs> and economic opportunity for our city, Adams said. We can't allow those who cut the line to undermine the legal market. We need to get it right. The mayor, a retired police captain, said he was appalled after seeing the packaging for the cannabis products sold by illicit peddlers that appealed to youth, including two named after kids' breakfast cereals, Captain Crunch and Trix. They were on display at the press briefing as Adams held up two purple packages, one legal and one illegal, that looked exactly the same. We need to go back to Albany, the mayor said, to get the legislator to outlaw the design and colors and pack of packaging that appeals to underage kids. These graphics, they speak volumes of what's being sold, he said. New York City Sheriff's Office Cannabis Task Force recently conducted inspections at 53 locations of suspected unlicensed cannabis operators and issued 500 civil violations as well as 66 criminal court summons. More than 100,000 products were seized, worth more than $4 million, said Sheriff Anthony Miranda at the same press conference. Though there are those who believe that this is going to become the wild, wild west of cannabis selling. We are saying clearly and loudly, no, it is not. We're going to take steps to stop the unlicensed store areas and stores that sell cannabis illegal products, Adam said. Our number one goal, we must get it right, because if you get it wrong, you can endanger this industry. Not two municipalities have gotten it right. Ah, that's the first right thing you said. <laughs> Sheriff Miranda noted, not only are these establishments evading taxes and putting legal businesses at a disadvantage to succeed, the products they are selling have the potential to endanger the health and safety of the public. That's fact. 
We remain especially concerned by the way these businesses have targeted underage consumers by selling products that are marketed directly to children. In many instances, the sheriff's office have seized illegal cannabis products with branding that appeals to younger people with colorful brand names such as Cheeto-infused snacks, Doritos spicy nachos, medicated, and Skittles, in addition to advertising gummies containing THC products. Critics, among them Senator Diane Savino of Staten Island, complain that the current state law just lacks the teeth necessary to weed out illicit operators. But Adams, who is joined by Dashita Dawson, director of Cannabis New York City, an office of the city Department of Small Business Services, stopped short of saying he would seek additional penalties, saying merely officials are discussing ideas. The black market is frustrating New York's efforts to get the legal cannabis industry off the ground, said Chris Alexander, executive director of the State Office of Cannabis Management that regulates the budding industry. State regulators recently awarded the first 36 licenses in New York to sell cannabis, 28 to retailers, and eight to not-for-profit groups. None have opened yet. What is it? That was the headline right there, really, and the reason as well. No, no, one is, one is expected to open near Harlem's famed Apollo Theater. Meanwhile, Governor Kathy Hochul announced Thursday that each state-licensed cannabis store will have a special verification emblem, and each weed product will have a universal New York logo to prove they're legit, <laughs> until those get counterfeited. Still, <laughs> critics say the rollout of New York's legal Pre-roll sellers is turning into a bad trip. One recent study claimed they are likely tens of thousands of illicit cannabis businesses currently operating out of bodegas, smoke shops, and other storefronts in New York City, with some pop-up shops selling bad or dangerously tainted weed, a new study reveals. The Post even discovered three unlicensed cannabis shops in Sleepy Coo Gardens. A recent survey conducted by Upper West Side Councilwoman Gail Brewer's office revealed that 26 of the 61 bodegas, delis, and smoke shops checked were illicit cannabis sellers. That's back of the envelope math. That's about half. <laughs> this is Yaro Kubrin, High at Nine News, Monday morning. I'd like to know what you guys think. Man, Yaro, what, what, what is his plan, Yaro? What's his plan if he says he ha he can clean it up so fast, what is his plan? Well, so there's, there's first of all, understand everybody sees the world through their lenses and through their training. I know a lot of amazing police officers who went back to school, studied public administration, and became politicians, right? But we are all byproducts of our training. And so I think his approach is, 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 uh, to fall back to the notion that enforcement is somehow going to uh, limit the number of unregulated stores that are open in New York. It doesn't really sound like they have a plan to be totally accurate. Exactly. Because when they say they're meeting and conferring, I don't know what meeting and conferring really means. I mean, we sit around a oh, whiteboard. Oh, I know what that means. I know what that means. That means expensive lunches at expensive restaurants. Ex Exploratory drawn out conversations about doing nothing. Are we going to hire a consultant for six figures to tell us what we know, but to put it on a pretty PowerPoint? Um, <laughs> yep, conferring does not sound like yep. they have a strategy. And when you're in public policy, I think you can't do your job through the press or lament the problem. And typically it would be formulating a solution and then executing on that solution 
measuring the efficacy or impacts and then making adjustments to that policy. And we don't have any of that mm -hmm. in this art. Exactly. Exactly. I think the, the, the fact that he's saying that, that, that he could get it done in just a matter of weeks and it would be done like, oh, man, you are you are out of your mind if you think that you could just clean that up that fast. Like, well, and I think this I think we, we've come to this point in, in, in human uh, evolution where we've realized that we're probably going to get more shift and, and, and reduction from an unregulated market by using the carrot, not the stick. Mm -hmm. um, because these these unregulated stores are a byproduct of consumer demand for quality cannabis in one of the biggest metropolitan markets in the world. Well, yeah, and but so if policymakers can solve that demand by standing up a plethora of regulated shops and make sure that the taxes don't create this big differential in price, then the greatest thing the regulated market has to offer consumers is quality, uh, the, the lab testing and product quality assurances that come from a regulated supply chain. Yeah, but you can't, so you, can't you, you can't tout that when you're selling two-year-old weed. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I don't think I've ever smoked two-year-old weed. I mean, you go and buy some weed from a legal store in New York and that's what you'll be doing. Yeah, go buy, I mean, that, that, go buy a pre. Go buy a pre. That that would probably best be served being made into shelf stable concentrates because I like I like my cannabis uh, as fresh as I like my wife's mouth. Yeah, I bet, I bet, I bet. I I'm with you on that. I, I this the the fact that that he even said that that he could he could clean this up is just just asinine to me. But but uh, it, it sounds like it sounds like somebody who's blowing hard into a microphone yeah. and who comes from a smash and grab enforcement training mindset. And so I'm not mad at the man for having worn the blue uniform and served his city in other capacities. But I do think it creates a um, a myoptic approach to figuring out how to solve the the symptom instead of seeing it as a symptom yeah. i think that smashing down these unregulated retail locations is going to be the way to support the regulated industry that's not how i it think works. we have enough history to know that's probably not going to work that is not how it works because you just reopen the next day time keeps on going on we just keep on waking up in the till tomorrow but uh it's whack-a-mole it's yep. whack-a-mole politics mm-hmm exactly so i have i have i have two other two two other stories for us are you ready for this yarrow I hope you are. All right. So, so I had I had the AI shorten the story because this story was pretty long. So, if you want to read the full thing, you can go on over to the website and check it out. But a company behind Missouri's marijuana recall poses a legal challenge to the state's regulators. Delta Extraction had its license to manufacture cannabis products revoked in November, and now the company has threatened to sue the state over its recalled products. The company believes that the lawsuit could gut Missouri's marijuana regulations. The company, with 20 employees located at the end of a dusty road from Dusty Road near Pacific, seems an unlikely candidate for upending Missouri regulatory's framework. But behind the scenes, Delta is anything but an underdog. Missouri's state senator, Nick Schroyer, said Delta hired the big guns to win its, to win its license back, including longtime Jefferson uh, City attorney He's Hartfield and Lowell Pearson. Delta was willing to admit it violated regulations, but wouldn't admit it imported a hemp-derived THC concentrate. 
Uh, Delta's extraction license was revoked for violating several rules, including failure to comply with seed-to-sale tracking requirements. And Delta bought hemp-derived THCA from Florida and uh, heated it through a a decarboxylation process to turn it into Delta-9-THC, the cannabinoid most commonly known for producing a high. The Missouri Department of Health argues that the Missouri Constitution requires all marijuana to be cultivated in Missouri and that the Administrative Hearing Commission has no authority to prohibit companies from adding hemp-derived THC to marijuana products. A federal judge in Arkansas sided with hemp companies in September and granted a preliminary injunction on a state law aimed to regulate hemp-derived THC, and the judge said Arkansas could pick and choose which parts of the federal hemp program it wanted to follow. Uh, Schroyer said uh, many marijuana businesses are suffering from the recall, and he believes that voters wanted a marijuana program where all products were homegrown in Missouri. Aside from the legal battle, the case sets up another conflict because Missouri's marijuana cultivators would suffer if hemp-derived THC concentrate became available for a fourth of the price of Missouri-grown marijuana THC concentrate. But it would be a big win for Missouri hemp farmers. The hemp industry now has people like the marijuana industry's top lobbyist Steve Tilley and attorneys uh, Hartfield and Pearson and Alec Rosenbaum fighting for its interest because it believes their clients and the web of political ties runs deep. Delta Extraction is 50% owned by a joint operation, a management group with three principals, and the other half is owned by Ozark Highland Cannabis LLC, which uses Delta Extraction Facility to make its products. Delta has sold 700 liters of hemp marijuana distillate since April of 2022, making $20 million. And a company that purchased the recalled THC oil from Delta is now suing the state, arguing that its livelihood is suffering. Well, well, wow, man, they got the big guns going in Missouri, Yarrow. Oh, man, they got the right lobbyists, the right lawyers, and the, and even the politicians aren't afraid to admit it. I was doing the math on that $20 million for 750 liters. What does it come up to? There's some margin over there in that state. I mean, look, it, it's hard for me to feel sorry for people who purposely break the rules for financial gain. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, look, we are a, a society that is, uh, has done a good job of remembering that people make mistakes uh that uh there should be a path towards redemption or mm-hmm. paying our price uh and that uh sometimes people color outside the lines it doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh necessarily bad actors uh but but if you're making 20 million dollars off selling 750 liters I, clearly there's a very strong incentive uh, to break the rules. I, I'm just, again, I'm not a big fan of the courts as a way to get our way. And um, so when I see these companies suing or litigating, my eyes roll up back in my head because I don't think that's the same as just making the best product at the best price with yeah. the best customer service, which to me is sort of the three legs of the stool for just being good at business. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. But what do you think about this? I mean, because it sounds like a hemp company owns part of Delta Extraction. And it also sounds to me like uh, like, like that, that they may be successful in, in getting hemp-derived concentrates to be able to use them in THC concentrates. 
So I I heard that that company owned like 50%, but I wasn't, and it said that that company was a customer, but I didn't know that that meant that company was a hemp company or a cannabis company. So I'm assuming, you know, maybe- I, I, I'm assuming it, it, sound, it sounds to me like it is just based off the whole story all around. I, I'm assuming that. I, I think that we have two major problems. The first is cannabinoids should be regulated according to whether they get people loopy or mm-hmm. psychotropic or get you high or whether they don't. And if they don't get you high, and we're talking about some CBD, well, by all means, make more bath bombs and tinctures and whatever, and I don't think that needs to be regulated much. Mm-hmm. And if it gets people loopy, if it has a psychotropic effect, if it can get somebody high, then it doesn't really matter whether it comes from cannabis or from hemp. It should be regulated based on the effect it has on somebody who consumes it. And until we get to that place, we're gonna have these problems with underregulated hemp, overregulated cannabis, cannabis operators and businesses that have jumped through all of the regulatory hoops that have put a ton of money into their uh, into standing up their businesses and who are going to see uh, lower cost cannabinoids from hemp as a threat and are, aren't going to want to participate in the mm-hmm. <laughs> in the opportunities that come by navigating these heavily regulated state specific programs. And so I understand that and and I get that hemp to quote Joanna Cedar, is just cannabis without offense. But as long as we've got intoxicating non-age-restricted products being sold in gas stations and who knows where, the hemp people kind of got to start really getting their shit together in respects to self-regulating so that they don't have to be over-regulated because they're taking ownership for the fact that some of the things that come out of hemp uh, shouldn't, should, should be age-restricted, should be more, more regulated. I just think that, um, you know, for companies that are in regulated cannabis, allowing uh, inputs that are from the hemp-derived uh, market, um, it doesn't seem like it's a level playing field that way. I don't think it, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it, I don't think it is either. I do not think that that, that, that bodes well going forward, but, but whatever. I got, I got, I got one more short little story for you, Yaro. I hope you'll, I hope you'll enjoy this. I think, I think you'll find this interesting. How can I not indulge you? Yes. The name of the show is high at nine. That's right. It's high at nine. And I, I, I know you love wrestling, Yaro, but there's a WWE star, Liv Morgan, whose real name is Gianna Dadidio was uh, was arrested on Thursday in Florida, your favorite state, on charges of possession of marijuana, according to arrest records. Uh, Dio was pulled over by a Sumter County deputy Thursday evening after Morgan's car was reportedly crossing over the white and yellow lines, according to Fox 13 Tampa Bay. A small bag of marijuana was found in the car along with a vape pen containing an oil-like substance, which tested positive for marijuana, according to the Village News. She was charged with possession of marijuana, not more than 20 grams, and possession of a synthetic cannabinoid, according to public records. That must have been a D8 pen, I bet you. Uh <laughs> Dadia was booked into Sumter County Jail and released after posting a $3,000 bond. And Dadia is a one 
is a one-time SmackDown Women's Champion and captured the WWE's Women Tag Team titles with Raquel Rodriguez in early 2023. Uh, DiDio has uh, been uh, sidelined recently with a shoulder injury, and uh, I believe she's saying this. She says, yeah, I've talked to Liv. She's doing great. She's uh, really recovering well, Rodriguez told the Dallas Morning News in October, and she's in very good spirits, of course, and she's very anxious to come back. I don't have a specific date when she will be back, but we are all waiting to, w- waiting for her. I know uh, I miss her terribly, so I am very excited for that, but I feel like the time has been flying, and she's just been on it, on her recovery. So I would assume she'd be back sooner rather than later and probably before any of us can really imagine, they say. Well, 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 getting caught up with weed in Florida, a little bit of weed. Under 20 grams and a vape pen, and she's going to jail. Probably for some Delta 8 or maybe HHC. Which one do you think, Yarrow? I mean, what do I think, right? I don't think people should be going to jail for a couple ounces of weed. I also don't think people should be swerving into other lanes. So, so I'm not sure what her state of mind was uh, when she was operating that motor vehicle. Um, but if the probable cause for pulling her over was that she wasn't driving safely, uh, I am uh, all for personal liberties and I'm also for safe highways. Um, think- so, so there's that. You- I also don't know if she had just gotten shoulder surgery was, was some of her navigating of the vehicle was that because she was in a sling or was there any sort of contributing factor had she recently nothing related to that but 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 i wonder i wonder with these kind of uh steep uh penalties in florida do you think that's one of the reasons that that florida has such a thriving cannabis market as opposed to other states no i think florida is a gorgeous piece of geography and when i look at those beaches all I can think about is a really cool cocktail with an umbrella and a spleef hanging out my mouth with some board shorts, my dad bod, and some sunscreen that hasn't been fully rubbed in on the freckles on my nose. So I think that <laughs> I enjoy Florida because it's beautiful and has some really, really nice things about it. And when you go to enjoy a place and you're looking at the splendor that only God could create, how can one not think this might be even better if I imbibed. Mm. And so um, I think that uh, I think that Florida's consumption of cannabis is a byproduct of how beautiful parts of the country is, especially the Keys and Miami. There's just some really, really pretty places. I've driven across the entire Everglades, and it's quite it's quite fascinating. And uh, yeah, next time I go to Florida, I want to get high too. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And on that, we want to thank you all for tuning in every Monday through Friday at High at 9 News, 9 a.m. Pacific and High Noon on the East Coast. Big thank you to all of our audience supporters tuning in daily on the regular. We appreciate your time. We know you could be anywhere else. And thank you all. Yarrow, good looking out today. Hope you're having an amazing day today. And thank you all for tuning in to High at 9 News. It is America's number one daily cannabis news show.